0: Morning. Good morning so good to be back at all souls what a wonderful community can i get an amen? amen and thank you for trusting me with your pulpit i have to tell you a secret uh my five-year-old didn't trust me to draw a picture of elsa from frozen correctly this morning so i hope that you'll put, invest a little bit more trust than maybe she did some of you parents and grandparents will relate Last week, I took a Masters of Public Health class that we're helping to teach out to the land where the beloved village of deeply affordable micro homes is being built, and there on the hill, I set up photographs of many of my friends who have died on the streets or because of the hells of poverty, and those eyes looked back at us and begged. My life has been full of funerals, funeral part one. She was struck by a car the day after Thanksgiving in the first year that Beloved opened our doors on Grove Street. She died instantly. She was traveling from her tent on Tunnel Road out to Hillcrest. The weather was frigid that night and a friend who had just gotten an apartment had invited her to sleep there, even though they weren't supposed to have guests like that. Through tears, we held the memorial service for her, and there I reminded everyone that Tammy's last name was Levin, and Leaven is what causes the bread to rise, and that her memory, her life, would help us rise if we would let it. You see, death can jar us can bring us closer to what is real in this life, can help us to have ears to hear. Tammy's life was showing us. Would we listen? Tammy was screaming to us. Would we have ears to hear? You have been given Moses and the prophets. Listen to them. Jesus' parable in Luke 16 tells the story of a rich man and a man from the streets. On my way here, I saw a lot of folks from the streets. In fact, I opened my door this morning, and on an old transistor radio, I heard, I got sunshine on a cloudy day. And I thought, isn't that the perfect song for this morning? Lazarus is at our gate. Lazarus, street named Laz, maybe Russ, maybe something more colorful. He was a beggar. Scripture tells us that he fits the description. He's laying down in public. He's in the way, perhaps blocking a sidewalk at the gate of the rich man, sores all over his body because of the lack of health care and dogs licking the sores. That detail tells me that he is exposed and vulnerable, but he also exposes us. Lazarus is the silent whistleblower at the gate. The book of Hebrews also tells us that Jesus was crucified outside the gate. These whistleblowers tell on us. Funeral part two. The story goes on, and both Lazarus and the rich man die. Lazarus is carried up by the angels to Abraham's side, presumably heaven. And the rich man goes to Hades, where he becomes a beggar. And I notice that the rich man still sees Lazarus as an object, wanting him to do his bidding. But Abraham says there's one problem. They can't help the rich man. Between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in place. The chasm has been set. Genocide, land stealing, slavery, redlining, gentrification, homelessness, poverty, borders that make people indigenous to this land illegal. A great chasm separates us. Though the distance is actually close, Lazarus is right at our gate. The parable insists that the rich man knew the whole time, and so did his brothers. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Moses in Deuteronomy 15 says, if there's any poor among you, open your hand generously. Isaiah says that we are to welcome strangers because they are indeed our own flesh and blood, and we'll find our healing there. The prophet Jeremiah says, Go down to the palace of the king and say, Lord, I command you to do what is just and right. Do not ill-treat or oppress foreigners, orphans, or widows. Do not kill the innocent in this holy place. And Jesus says, By this the nations will be judged. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. Sick and without health care. I was in detention. What you do to me systematically, what you do to them systematically, you do to me. See, the story says we already know what to do. We have the prophets and Moses. We know what to do, but we just have trouble doing it. We just have trouble doing it. We love our linen and luxury and life too much. We hold fast to our identity as the rich one. But the good news that I found is that the end of the story hasn't been written yet. The parable kind of drops off. It says, will we listen to the prophets at our door? Will we listen to the whistleblower at our gate? The story implies that our only hope in this life and in the next is to interrupt that great chasm that has been set. We call it the system. When we interrupt the system, how do we do that? I've heard a lot of people saying lately, I want to help, but I just don't know what to do. I want to help, but I don't know what to do. This story tells us that we actually do know what to do. We must listen to the prophets at our gate and so transform our lives. The solution, salvation, liberation, equity actually comes from the ground up. The Bible tells me so. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 13 means what it says. The holy seed will be the stump of the land. The holy seed will be the stump of the land. The very thing, the very person that we have cut down and marginalized is how we cross the chasm, and eventually how we get rid of the chasm altogether. Through them, we find our healing, our wholeness. The cut down one, the stump, is our prophet, our whistleblower, our holy seed that will grow into a whole new way of being that I believe we all long for. We must enter into deep relationship with the prophet at our gate. They are the ones who have been sent to us, not for us to save the prophet, but to save humanity from the chasm that cuts down the prophet and makes them invisible. This is where our wholeness, our salvation lies. We must listen to the whistleblower at our gate. The spots on the apple, the nonprofit charity representative bragged to my co-worker poncho we don't just give people food we teach them how to cut the spots off the apple and then to eat it oh toxic charity we teach mexican people salvadoran people guatemalan people who are farmers how to cut spots off of apples Migrating for our seasons to pick our fruit in the broiling sun for 12 hours a day and for pennies a bucket. People who are expert farmers from the time of their ancestors. People who for millennia have had a love affair with the land, though they have been constantly uprooted from it and call it illegal on the place they were born. It's easy to be the saviors and tell people what they already know when people just long for the apple. Equity, sharing, trusting the people. We say we want community, but the whistleblower is at our gate. And we love linen and luxury too much. We try to save the prophet when they've been sent to save us. Funeral, part three. I lay on the concrete for 11 minutes of death. 11 minutes symbolizing the 11 years we have left. 2020, 2021, 2022. The minutes tick like hours, like days, like years. 2027, 20, 2028, 20, 2029, 20, 2030. 500 young Lazaruses in Asheville sat at our world gate begging for us to listen to the voices of the prophets about climate change. This is the funeral for the planet if we do not change. This is the funeral for the planet if we do not change. I cried ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In my priestly role I began the dying Political or spiritual, liturgical or prophetic, these are the strange acts that can save us all. Biblical prophets have always done bizarre things to get our attention before it's too late. Like these young Lazaruses laying out in front of City Hall, or the young Lazarus that held their hands up in Ferguson, or those that fell to their knees at the border. Like the ones who lay in the doorways of Asheville every night, the whistleblower is at our gate. This is the funeral for the planet if we do not change. Change is powerful, and our stories from Holy Scripture today are pointing us toward the holy work of change. Y'all know something about that, don't you? Change requires that we hold funerals for the old ways of being or we will hold funerals for those who are being killed because we hold on to the old ways and indeed funerals for ourselves and the entire planet, our existence as humanity. This holy scripture says transformation is our prophetic hope. Friends of all souls, you embarked on a journey of change over two years ago. And for many, it may have felt like death. Things were changing. Some of us don't like change. It's scary. But many of you know that this journey is a journey of resurrection. A journey toward what our epistle reading calls that life that is really life. I love that. That life that is really life. Koinonia. Human communion, mutual human participation, and engagement in the work of racial and economic equity. The prayer of Koinonia, O God of all creation, fill us with passion to live as neighbors and to uphold the dignity of our community. Guide and support us through Koinonia to follow your example and command to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you. Transform us through your spirit, that in all we do we may embody your love and compassion and be reconciled with you and all creation. We ask this in your name, amen. Be reconciled, transform us, fill us with passion to live as neighbors in community. You're praying yourselves across the chasm and we're so grateful that we get to be a part of the journey at Love Asheville over this last year and a half together. What a joy it has been, and we know will be. Adrienne Marie Brown, in her book, Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds, says this, science fiction is simply a way to practice the future together. I suspect that is what many of you are up to. Practicing futures together. Practicing justice together. Living into new stories. It is our right and responsibility to create a new world. This is what God has called us into partnership to do. Funeral, part four. It's the end of the world as we know it. I love this wild and irrational story from Jeremiah. Didn't quite make the cut for the early service, but let me tell you about it. It's our Hebrew lesson for today. Now, Jeremiah's street name was the weeping prophet because things in his time looked so very rough. He wailed and gnashed teeth a lot now it so happened that the whole world is burning and empires are fighting and being greedy and stealing land and killing people and threatening to steal culture and identity now i'm talking about the life and times of jeremiah but i don't know about y'all it sounds really familiar to me in the midst of the hebrew people being swept away into exile uprooted from their lives and homes Jeremiah does this very bizarre thing. He buys a piece of land. What? Buying land only to be whisked away from it? What sense does that make? It's a prophetic act. It's an act of faith. It is a bold proclamation. And it reminds me of my friend Terry, who once told me where he laid his head At night he slept in a graveyard he slept on top of his wife's grave he said it was the only plot of land that he owned six feet long and three feet wide at least I'm near her he said to be homeless is to be virtually landless it is to be alive and still sleeping on the grave. We are an uprooted nation. Genocide and chattel slavery, generational family separation policies, it's in our DNA. And I have come to believe that the epidemic of homelessness that we now face is a reflection of this uprooted history. Terry, the whistleblower at our gate, sleeps on the grave, a crazy prophetic act to show us what we are doing to people. And to show people's tenacious persistence in not letting go. Land changes the equity equation. Land changes the hope equation. One reason I love God is that God always stuns me. So when I read the lectionary readings for this day that I was invited to share this time with you, I almost dropped the holy book. I couldn't believe it. Scripture always reads us, doesn't it? In our scripture, though the worst is coming, though the prophet talks about the people being carried into exile, the prophet initiates a brave action. He buys a piece of land. Crazy or brave, foolhardy or visionary, peculiar or prophetic, only we can decide. Funeral part five, when our sister Janet froze to death on the streets of Asheville, we began to see hotels and high dollar condos and breweries going up all around us and we felt as if we might be swept away. Exile, it shares a root with existential, our existential crisis. Are we going to continue to exist? As we get to the brink of climate change, I can tell you that there have been peoples that have been in existential crisis for thousands of years. For us, Janet was our whistleblower, because in that moment of her death, we sat with her outside our gates with this question, what are we gonna do about this? What are we going to do about this? This was a prophetic question, and against all the odds, we dreamed of land and trees, community gardens and homes that we would truly afford, deeply affordable homes with equity, and we did this peculiar thing. We asked for a piece of land in the midst of being the second most gentrified city in the nation. Beloved was gifted a small piece of land by Land of the Sky, United Church of Christ and the Presbytery of Western North Carolina, and gifted a Koinonia committee that said, we believe in this. Now, when you are homeless and poor as a people, having these gifts was a big deal. Climate change, gentrification, exile, The scene doesn't look good, my friends. It looks like Hades down here, but the good news is that we have whistleblowers at our gate calling us into community, daring us to act prophetically, even if some don't understand, calling us across the great chasm that is set to invest in land and home and community, Quinenia together to become whole again I have a clergy friend and she told me she visited her aging parents way down south and she was trying to be a good child and help with chores and so she was doing laundry and she told me that this miraculous thing that from her elder daddy's overalls every pair she pulled out hands full of seeds and nails, and screws, and nuts, and bolts. Though he was, in his later years, he was dreaming of planting and building. Perhaps he knew that the God of the universe has launched a cosmic building and permaculture project called the Beloved Community, or the Kingdom of God. I think about that a lot with our work at Beloved Asheville. The world seems to be ending, and we're calling our community to plant and build. This is strange, prophetic behavior. It looks like a joke. And as Dorothy Day says, we are fools for Christ and wish we were more so. We are keeping good community with Jeremiah and the prophets at our gate. In closing, he was an eight-year-old kid at a school where we've been going to teach about the housing crisis and the need for the beloved village through art and story. He bore the ancient prophet's name and like a little child will lead, he said, oh, these homes are for people like me. Me and my mom can barely make our rent every month. And we get a little food at the beginning of the week, and sometimes we get some more at the end of the week. Sometimes a friend helps us. Can you say courage to share this in front of your whole class at school? You see, the prophet doesn't care what the listeners will think of them. They care what people will do with what they say. They care whether people have eyes to see and ears to hear. And with this hearing, this shema, as the Hebrew calls it, with this insight, with this burning coal on their lips, the prophets will tune our bodies, our actions, our praxis to the heart of God, if we will let them. These homes are for me, the young prophet said. And isn't that true of us all? We all need to find... Our way home to each other and to the God who is our holy homemaker. That is the lesson of Lazarus and the rich man. They needed each other, but the chasm was set. I often sleep up after hospitality gatherings at Beloved. And some years ago, I started to tease our people y'all just keep this up, keep moving the dirt. Keep bringing the real estate over here and I'm just gonna sweep it up and one day it'll be a big enough pile that it'll be a piece of land and we'll all have homes. And they just laugh and laugh and laugh and I'd say, keep on moving that dirt. Keep on moving that dirt, bring it on over. B Love's been sweeping the dust for years. Foolhardy or prophetic. We know the ground and we believe that something is moving under our feet. And though we may be swept away by exile, the prophets are at our gate and we're listening to them. These tidal waves, impoverishment, homelessness, racist policies like urban renewal, the waves of gentrification, systems that want to rip us apart from our people, our family, our place, and even our very own selves but we just keep on shuffling around town, moving the dust with our feet. We believe that God intends for all of us to root in this ground, that God intends everyone need their own vine and fig tree, that God intends to interrupt the chasm and to replace it with koinonia. You believe that too? The whistleblower is at our gate. Will we join them? Will we come home to each other? God is so good. We have everything we need to do that. The prophet is at our gate. Let us join them and all come home. Amen.